Well, good morning, New Hope. It is so good to see you and encourage you. Now will be a great time to, hopefully when you came in, you'll have received an outline. Do you want to just pull that out right now? And this Sunday, I want to talk to you with specific reference to Christmas about how God can produce joy in your life. At Christmas, I don't know whether you've noticed, I mean, you go down to Botany and you hear some of the carols, Joy to the World. That word joy shows up a lot of places on Christmas cards. And that's because Christianity is a joyful faith. In fact, Jesus has said in John 15, 1, uh, 11 on the screen there, these things that I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God's desire for you and I is to have a life that is sustained with his joy. You see, we're even a singing faith. Do you know that? There are more songs about Jesus than anybody else on the planet. There's more artwork. There's more poetry. There's been more books written about Jesus, but we all sing a lot about Jesus. No holiday has more songs written for it than Christmas. And that's because the Bible, in the Christmas story, which was just up here a few moments ago, it mentions joy eight times specifically. The arrival of Jesus is the most joyful event in all of history. And therefore, we even today have vestiges of that when we say, Merry Christmas. So what is joy? A couple of quick thoughts on that before we get into the message. Well, it's, it's an emotion that's way deeper than happiness. Happiness is based on what happens. So happiness depends upon happenings. If I'm ha- having good happenings going on in my life, then I am happy. But joy is based on my choices different. Happiness is based on my external circumstances, what's going on around me. Joy is deep, internal in my character. Happiness, I've noticed, and maybe some of you have too, is very temporary. It's fleeting. But joy is long-lasting and enduring. Now, a favorite definition of mine of joy is this. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail of my life. It is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right. And it is third, the determined choice to praise God in all things. The scriptures even say that. Personally, for me, one of the biggest challenges in the last little while has been this. There's a scripture that says this. It says, always be joyful. Two, never stop praying. Three, in all things, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now, you know what? Sometimes I don't feel like that. Maybe that's like you too. But the scripture is clear. One, always be joyful. Two, never stop praying. Three, In all things, not for all things, but in the middle of all the took that goes on in life. In the middle of all of that, hang in there. Okay, let's carry on. I don't know about you, but I've often thought, wouldn't it be great if I could sense that joy all the time? 
the world will be a much nicer place. The truth is, though, we don't live in that joy most of the time. And joy kind of drains out of us very quickly and easily. Why? Because, first of all, there are barriers that push against us, experiencing that joy all the time. There are barriers to joy that block it in your life. There are depleters of joy that literally drain the joy out of your life. There are enemies of joy that fight against you being joyful. And there are destroyers of joy that steal the joy that God clearly in his word, I want, I have come that your joy may be full. Wow. So what's going on here? So this Christmas, I want to get at three common destroyers of joy in your life and that show up in my life. And then look at to see how Mary, Joseph, and the wise men, those three, because it's Christmas, they modeled choices that can restore your lost joy and my lost joy. So if you want to restore your joy in your life, you first need to understand what's stealing your joy. Number one, the most common destroyer of joy, and some of you are very familiar with this, is anxiety. Anxiety. Constant, gnawing, gut-level, gut-wrenching anxiety. And that often shows up for you when you are stressed. Huh? When you're scared. When you're anxious about something, and it just gnaws away at you, and you get nervous, you know what I mean, right? And you've got that horrible feeling like butterflies in your stomach. You see, this is the reason why it's hard to be joyful and fearful at the same time. Distress is the opposite of delight. Now, let's have a think about Miss Mary. Miss Mary faced an incredible amount of anxiety with the birth of Jesus. Miss Mary was probably 14, 15, 16-ish years old. Most married very young back then because, well, there were a number of reasons. Many died very young. And if you're going to have a number of children, you need to get on the stick pretty quick. So that's quite common. For people to be married 14, 15, 16 years old. But Mary had a lot of anxiety. Because she was about to experience something that nobody else in the entire creation had ever experienced. A virgin birth. How could that happen? Come on. I'm single. I got pregnant. Think about that. This is back then. Today, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Back then it was a scandal. There was gossip everywhere. You know, how is this going to run? Hey, mum, I'm pregnant and I didn't have sex. Yeah, right. And in those days, father would have taken a very dim view of that. There would have been an awful lot of anxiety in that young girl's life. Oh, 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 and by the way, even though I got pregnant without having sex, the baby I'm going to have is going to be God. Now that does it. You are definitely off the deep end, right? 
I mean, that's a hard one to swallow, even with a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> no way. You expect me to believe that, says the mother or the father? How about Joseph? What? I trusted you. And by the way, she was going to have her first birth without anybody to help her. Bar her husband. Not in the nice, clean, sanitary hospital. The word afraid in the Christmas story is used seven times. Every time by an angel. And this is how the angel would typically speak. Oh, do not be afraid. Pushing back against an anxiety. Every time the angels speak, it was do not be afraid. Why? Because anxiety robs you of your joy and me of my joy. So Mary had a choice there. I know you are saying don't be afraid, but I'm feeling differently. But Mary chose well. And that choice brought joy into her life. Because when Mary was afraid... She chose to trust God and accept his plan. She chose that. Let's pick up the story. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you don't, it's on the screen. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's the cousin, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. And you can go there today. You can hop on a plane and you can go to this place. In a village in Galilee to a young virgin named Mary. And at that time, Mary was legally engaged to be married. Important terms. Luke is a historian of pristine accuracy. Secular and atheistic historians say this man is of the first class order scholar. Joseph, a descendant of King David, suddenly the angel appeared to Mary and said, Greetings, highly favored woman. The Lord is with you. Frightened and disturbed, Mary wondered what the angel could possibly mean. And again, today I just want to point out to every one of us sitting here, we minimize how traumatic all this was for Mary. She was traumatized. The angel says, don't be afraid, Mary. We visited that before. The angel told her, for you have been chosen by God for his purpose. You may want to circle for his purpose. And I want to let you into a secret. You have been chosen by God for his purpose. But you'll miss it if you don't choose it. What the angel said next created even more anxiety. Verse 31. The angel continued. You will become pregnant and have a son. And you are to name him Jesus. And your child will be the greatest 
the son of the most high God. We just sang about that with Ben and the team leading us. And he will sit on David's throne as king forever. And his kingdom will never end. And then Mary asked the very obvious question. And the answer created even more anxiety. Then Mary asked, but how is this possible? I have never slept with a man. Now, let me be real clear. A virgin cannot produce a baby. But God can. The moment God created the universe, no miracle is off the table. Think about that for logical consistency. The moment God created everything out of nothing, no miracles off the table. It's unreasonable to expect that it would be. The angel replied, God's Holy Spirit and his creative power. We see that when you created something out of nothing. Before there was nothing, that means there was no time, no space, no material. So whatever created that was timeless, spaceless, immaterial, incredibly powerful, personal, and super intelligent. The Holy Spirit and his creative power will overshadow you. So your baby will be this holy son of God. It will be a miracle just as your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. For nothing is impossible with God. And the fact is, you, if you were Mary, would feel an awful lot of anxiety at, say, 15 years old, too. Now, I don't know about what you're anxious about today, but I do know the antidote. Without question, I can tell you what the antidote is. I value clarity and simplicity. Simplicity does not mean simplistic, it means clear. Let me say that again. Let me not. Time's ticking by. The antidote is to trust God and accept his plan. That is the antidote to anxiety. So save all your counseling bills. There's the answer right there. You put it all in God's hands. You don't carry it all yourself. In fact, this is exactly what Mary did. The Bible says here in Luke 1.38, Mary responded. She said, I am the Lord's servant. I love this. Look at her attitude, guys. She's gone from worry, 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 worry to, hey, I am the Lord's servant and I am willing to accept whatever he wants. Wow. That woman is fully devoted to God's purposes. May everything you've said come true. And then the angel left her. Wow. That's what she did. That's how she got rid of anxiety. I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. Have you come to that point in your life yet? If you haven't, you're trying to run your own life and you're fighting God's plan. Am I willing to accept whatever he wants? Like Mary was, in spite of her anxiety. Now the joy, the result of this choice is always joy. And in Luke 1, verse 47, notice the result. My spirit, and my spirit finds its joy in God, my Savior. That's where that joy came from. Now the second most common destroyer of joy, and you're going to find this in the Christmas story too, is resentment. Over hurt. Resentment over hurt 
and disappointment. Where does resentment come from? Well, often comes from when you've been hurt, right? You get resentful. Oh, by the way, just a quick one on that one. Fights will not kill your marriage. No, I don't care how many fights you have. That one never kill your marriage. What will kill your marriage, or any relationship for that matter, is resentment and bitterness. That will kill it. That's systemic poison. So where does resentment come from? It's when you've been hurt, when you've been wounded, when you've been offended or betrayed, when you've been rejected or abused or mistreated. And bitterness keeps millions of people from experiencing joy. Because again, you cannot be resentful and joyful at the same time. That doesn't work. So what about this in the Christmas story? Well, guess who we're going to go visit next? Mr. Joseph. You think about him for a moment. Consider how he must have felt. When he gets this news of his wife-to-be, the woman that he dearly loves, looking forward to this, spending the rest of his life with, they've never had sex. All of a sudden, she comes home and says, Hi, honey. Now, got some news. I'm pregnant. How would you feel? I know how I feel. How would you feel? Would you feel betrayed? Would you feel you've been cheated on? Would you feel you've been deceived? I didn't even know about this guy. Why did this happen? Tell you what, sadly today, some of you sitting here know how that feels. Some of you have friends who knows how that feels. And it hurts. I just want to put this in perspective. Betrothal in those days was way more than engagement today. It was legally binding. And one year before you're about to get married, you'd sign a contract. A year prior to the wedding day. And there was Zippo sex, which is not like today. And the only way to break it was by divorce. Yeah, by divorce. Once you were betrothed, it was as good as done, apart from you not living together. And anyone caught being unfaithful, there were serious legal and financial implications to that. I won't go into all that because we don't have time. But Joseph, I noticed, didn't seek to retaliate or to say, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. He didn't do that. So when Joseph was hurt, he chose to offer grace and let the pain go. When Joseph was hurt, he chose to offer grace, which is the next point, and let the pain go. Oh, I was thinking about that this week. You know what? This is a very interesting point. Because God could have chosen to tell Mary and Joseph the plan together and arrange to have a convenient angel appear at the same time to tell them both the good news at the same time and saved a whole bunch of shamuzzle. But instead, I want to suggest to you that God, in the same way he operates today, was testing Joseph's character and his faithfulness and his faith. The implication there was, would he be compassionate? Would he be merciful? Would he be forgiving? Would he be loving? Would he be a good, godly, faithful man? 
Or would he say, to be blunt, stuff you and get angry, get mean and say, okay, you're unfaithful to me. I'm going to go over here and be unfaithful to you with somebody else. I'll just go sleep with somebody just to get even with you. When Joseph was hurt, he chose to offer grace and let the pain go. Now, while Mary struggled with fear and anxiety, Joseph struggled with resentment and anger. And it happens in many, many marriages today. And he had every reason to get hurt and mad and angry and wounded. But he did not notice, fly off the handle and attack Mary in his hurt. Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was legally betrothed to be married to Joseph. But while she was still a virgin and they had not come together... She became pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph was a godly man, boy was he ever, who always did what was right, and he did not want to shame Mary, look at his character here, or expose her to public disgrace. And there were, I repeat, enormous implications for this in those days. So he planned to quietly call off the wedding. A beautiful example of grace. He doesn't rub it in. Hey, you guys, look what Mary's done. And publicly embarrass her. He's not trying to shame her. He says, okay, we're just going to call off the wedding. And he's doing the best he can. Question to you. Who has deeply hurt you? You probably know that name immediately, that situation. Question two, are you still holding on to that hurt? That's one of the reasons, can I suggest to you, that you are not sensing that full joy that Jesus came to give you. You can't have resentment and joy residing in your heart at the same time. Let me explain something here. Resentment is Utterly useless as emotion. The only person that hurts is you. It's like turning a shotgun around and, hope, and pulling the trigger and hoping the butt's going to hit the other guy. It's hurting you. It's crazy. God brought you here today to say to some of you, let it go. Today, at Christmas 2017. And you say, well, they don't, for ex they don't deserve forgiveness, those people. Of course they don't. But neither do you. God has forgiven you for all kinds of stuff. Fortunately, God didn't leave Joseph in the dark for long. Pick it up in verse 20. After, notice the order here, what God's doing. After deciding this. No words are wasted in Scripture. An angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, the baby that Mary is carrying is really from the Holy Spirit. So go ahead and marry her. And when the baby is born, name him Jesus. And he will save people from their sins. Notice he didn't come to give him the Kiwi dream. 
He came to save people from sin. Now, because Joseph didn't get bitter, God blessed him. And he was given the privilege of raising God's son. Now, do you want to get bitter or do you want to be blessed? That's your choice. This is a choice that can make the difference between resentment and joy. You say, I can't do that. I don't have the strength to forgive that person. Well, that's why God sent a savior at Christmas. Because you and I can't do this on our own. You need God's power. And the only way you're going to get God's power is to get God's savior in your life. So where do you get the strength to do that? The Bible says the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And the third and finally, the most common destroyer of joy in your life is something else. And it's the word confusion. When you can't figure out what you're supposed to do. You know, the number one question I probably get as a pastor is, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Apart from this crazy activity that I'm on. And you can't figure that out. When you can't make up your mind, you're undecided about direction. You doubt which way to go. You're constantly questioning yourself. Let me just point out that at the first Christmas, everybody was confused. (laughs) Except the angels. Because they knew what was going on. Mary and Joseph were sure as heck confused. (laughs) What? What? (laughs) On two counts. The wise men had to deal with confusion over direction. They knew someone was going on, but they had to ask for directions one step at a time. Who were the wise men? They were the magi you've heard of. They were the scholars, the scientists, the philosophers. The intellectuals even got confused about the direction of their lives, but they made the right choice. And my third point is when the wise men were confused, they chose to follow God's light one step at a time. One step at a time. Matthew 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, some wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east. And now I want you to circle these next four words. are important. That we have followed. Circle that one. Followed it here. And we are seeking, number two, To find, three, and worship, four. They are four stages of spiritual growth each one of us are in. You are are the seeking. You've just found him, or you're following him, or you're worshipping him. There's four stages of spiritual growth. Now, Herod was deeply upset and bothered by their search, and so was most of Jerusalem as well. By the way, nothing changes much here. The political system and the politicians still get very upset with Jesus. And with what he says is right and wrong. Politicians don't know what they're talking about. Where we get the definition of right and wrong from is not personal opinion, not club opinion, not societal opinion. Right and wrong is defined in the nature and the character of God, and that never changes. Right and wrong never changes. It's anchored firmly, objectively, in the character of God. Everything else is shifting and sinking sands. Note several things about the wise men here on that verse. Number one, they were seekers. They were seekers of God. And that's a really smart thing to do. Seek God. Some people don't care enough to check it out. To me, that's like 
come on. This week, I was looking at a guy who printed out Craig Venter's entire um, DNA in about a, a 10-point font. It was something like 247 volumes, which were yay thick each. And this guy would go to uh, book number, oh, whatever, it's 216, pull it out, whip over a page. He said, see this one, A-A-G-T-Z, uh, A-A-G-T-T. He said, this here codes Craig's eye color. And then pull out something else here, and you'd say, this here codes his hair color. And this here codes his height. Phenomenally complex. How people can miss the incredible complexity of an amazing God. These people, wise men that were seeking him. Conversely, it would not be wise, in my view, to seek the creator who made you. I have a question for you. I'm a computer guy. When I see code, it's such ridiculous detail. And I know that you put a semicolon in the wrong part of a computer code, it stops dead. Isn't that right? You get that wrong. What is the source of the intelligence behind this? Where did that information come from? Come on. Random doesn't work. The more random you have, things run downhill to disorder, to randomness. Where is the source? Think about that. Even a humble tomato plant or a banana. Where did the information that came out of the same soil, that's coded with a DNA. That tells you how to build that. How one tastes like an orange, or one tastes like an apple, and one looks like a pine tree. How is that coming out of the same soil? So the same nutrients. It's code that does it. Where's the source? Where does it get all that clever coding from? Think about that. You cannot ignore that. That's what the Bible says in Romans 1. God has made his presence known in nature alone. Look at that. You can't be saved through that, but it sure as heck points you to God. These wise men were uh, were smart because they were looking for that. It's wise to say this, I'd suggest to you. If there is a God out there, I want to get to know him. That's wise. I met one man a few weeks ago who I felt was what the Bible calls a fool. He said this, I am my own God. In all my life, I've never heard that, but I did a few weeks ago. I thought you is what the Bible calls it. The the Bible says the fool says in his heart there is no God. Seek. Look. If you seek me, you'll find me. Number two, they were serious enough to invest time and energy. If you are seriousness, serious about finding God, are you willing to invest time? Are you willing to invest energy to find him? If you're not, call it as it is. By the way, it wasn't a very simple or easy trip for these wise men. It could take months organizing a caravan. It was expensive to put that together. My question to you is, are you willing to invest some time to find out some facts about the evidence for God? Number three, they headed out in faith with the light that they were given. Don't wait until you've got all the details. Don't say, well, until we know the exact address where this guy is, we ain't moving. They started with the light that they have, which is when they saw the star. And they followed it to where it led. And you shouldn't wait either till you have all the details. You should start your journey with the light that you've been given. That's why they were wise. And the fourth area is they were seeking Jesus. When they were seeking him, you know what it did? I noticed an effect. I know that effect is still here today. When you seek Jesus, it's going to upset some people. It's going to upset some people. And I want to warn you about this. This may happen to you too. 
And as a pastor, I'm going to tell you the absolute facts on this so nobody can ever say that didn't tell you. There was a downside as well as an upside to following Jesus. Did you all hear that? There were two sides. And you know what it tells you it's all upside? It's fibbing. The downside is if you genuinely seek Jesus, somebody ain't going to like it. And it could be right in your own family. Somebody's going to get upset and get bothered just like Herod did. Herod asked the Bible scholars, where is the king of the Jews? The Messiah that's supposed to be born. And they said in Bethlehem in verse 8. Then King Herod said to them, Bethlehem, sent them to Bethlehem with his instructions, go and diligently search to find the child. And as soon as you find him, <laughs> report him to me. And you know why that was, right? He wanted to stop any threat to his throne. So that I might go worship him too. Ooh. King Herod was a liar. He was a jealous, deceitful assassin who killed members of his own family to protect his throne and his power. Verse 9. So they continued their search, following the star they had seen in the east. It went ahead of them until it stopped exactly over the place where the child was. When the wise men saw the star stop, they were filled with joy and rejoiced exceedingly. This is like you have hit bigger than the jackpot here. Because you're not taking that with you. They never had an exact map, but notice they got to exactly where God intended them. Now, the problem for some of you men in this building today is that you want God to give you an exact map with all your life laid out, but God will never give you an exact map because why? Number one, it would scare you, and number two, it wouldn't require faith. But instead, men... Listen carefully. God has given you a compass and a guiding light. Two things. A compass points north. It doesn't tell you all that you're going to find on the trail as you're following your north. You find that out as you go. The compass for your life is the Bible. The less you're in the Bible, the less you're in this book, the more confused you're going to be about life. Because you're going to keep running into dead ends. You think, this is a good place to go down. This is a good idea. And you're going to find a dead end. It's expensive and time-consuming. Because you're not following the compass. Now, now, to be really clear, men, the Bible will not tell you to choose job A, B, or C. Or to live in A, X, Y, or Z. What it will do is to point in the right direction of those values. Then you make that decision. The Bible is the compass, God's word, along with God's spirit in your life is a guiding light. And he will give you these nudges. The Bible says in Psalm 119 verse 105, your word is a lamp unto me. Uh, me. This This version says your word is a lamp to guide me and a light for my path. Finally, these wise men get to the place where Jesus was. Now notice, these guys didn't give up until they found Jesus. Verse 11. Then they entered the place and they saw the child with his mother. Overwhelmed, what did they do? They fell 
to their knees, right? And they worshipped Jesus. It was overwhelming. And then they opened their treasure boxes. Opened their treasure boxes. And they gave Jesus their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's a whole schmuzzle, which uh, a whole unpacking of that can go there, but we haven't got time. But the point is they finally met Jesus. Question. Have you met Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about knowing about him or have heard his name. Everybody knows about him, it seems to me. You know, well, I went to Sunday school as a kid. I heard about Jesus. I went to catechism as a kid or something. I went to a church. You may even say, well, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Well, so what? So does the devil. And the devil is not an atheist. He certainly knows that God exists. Well, how do you know if you've met Jesus personally? I think we can learn something from these wise men. Number one, the first thing you'll notice, you may want to write this out the side somewhere, you will feel overwhelmed with humble gratitude. When you finally realize what God did for you, in sending you a savior, question, have you ever in your life fallen to your knees when you realize that God would love you enough to send Jesus? If you have never felt that way, you probably don't know him the way he wants you to know him. You may have gone to church your entire life, but you don't really know Jesus personally. There's a huge difference between knowing about him and knowing him personally. The second thing these guys did is they opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts. Something happened in their lives. And when you really know Jesus, here's what I'm just trying to say in one sentence, you want to give him your very best. Not second fiddle, not, oh, well, if I've got anything left over in my time or my passion, you give him your best. Why? Because Jesus gave everything for you. God cared enough to send the very best. He didn't even send an angel to die. That didn't make any difference. He sent his son. Then it says this, they open their treasure box. What's in your treasure box? I'll tell you very simply, whatever you treasure, whatever you value is in your treasure box. For some of you, it's your job. That's in your treasure box. Big value. For some of you, it's your golf game, or your boat, or your jet ski, <laughs> or your grandkids. They're in your treasure box. Now, they aren't all bad things. They're all good things. I'm just saying whatever you value most is in your treasure box. And when you get to know Jesus, you go, God, you gave me everything. You gave me the best. So, in response, I give you my life back. To use in any way that you want. Any way that you want. It's the most valuable thing I have. All this other stuff is not that valuable. It'll come and it'll go. But what I have is my life at the moment. And I want to give you the best. So let's wrap this up. Have you lost your joy? From having too many anxieties at work or within the family or with one of your teenagers or even in your marriage? From being hurt too much and disappointed too much?
or you're really confused, that can rob you of joy too. So therefore at Christmas you just go through the motions. If that's you, friend, you need help from heaven. That helps call a saviour, and that's what Christmas is all about. The Bible says that 2,017 years ago, an angel announced this. Let me quote them, Luke 2. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Doesn't matter what you've done or who you've done it with or for how long you've done it. Doesn't matter whether you're an agnostic or an atheist or a Buddhist or a Baptist or a Methodist or a Mormon. Doesn't matter. The next verse is why I should have great joy. The Bible says to all people, listen up. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You're going to need that Savior. Not just this year. And not just at the end of your life when you stand before him. You're going to need him next year as well. Why do I need that saviour? Because we're spiritually separated from God. God is perfect. We are not. Our oil and water does not mix. Because of our sin. Because of our selfishness. And no matter how good we look on the outside, we are separated from God. So what did God do? That's a problem. What did God do to solve the problem? The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish or spend eternity separated from him. And then notice this next verse, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. You bad, naughty, nasty, wicked people. He didn't do that. But that the world through him may be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There is no salvation in none other. There's no reconciliation in any other name. Everything else is sinking sand. And it's the whole reason why he came. It's why we say Merry Christmas, good news at Christmas. So this Christmas, I want to suggest this final prayer. It's what David prayed after he'd really messed up in his life. When he realized his sin, this is his prayer in one verse. Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation, the gift given from him. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? If you just bow your head, close your eyes and follow along with me. Maybe you want to say, God, I do not want to live a joyless life. But Lord, today I want to admit to you and confess to you that I have let anxiety and hurt and resentment and confusion and a bunch of other things steal my joy. Father, this Christmas I need help from you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're my saviour. I don't understand it all, but like Mary, I'm trusting to trust you and accept your plan for my life. Like Mary, I want to find joy in you. 
Like Joseph, I need you to fill me with your grace so that I can let go of all the pain and the confusion and the people that have hurt me. And I want your joy, Lord, to be my strength. Because it gets weary on my own strength. And like the wise men, I want to follow the light that you've given me one step at a time. God, I realize today, after looking at your word, that I cannot save myself. I need your help. I need a savior, which is the whole reason why you came at Christmas, Lord. So today, as you sit here on December the 3rd, I would encourage each one of you to say, Jesus, save me. Be my savior this Christmas. And I humbly ask this in Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said, Amen.